It's really a message about the church. And if you're visiting with us today and you're wondering, uh, what would it be like if I become a Christian? What would it be like if I start doing the church thing? This is a good message for you. It's not going to be about details of what happens in the church. It's going to be the, like the overarching 60,000 feet view of what, what's church really all about? What's church supposed to do? Some of this is for those of you who are at home. Maybe you're home because of COVID fears. Bless you. We love you. We understand that. You come back when you're able to get over those fears and be ready. But uh, some of you maybe are home because you're jammy Christians. You've become jammy Christians. COVID has messed you up and you're jammy Christians. You're like, well, I'm afraid of COVID, but you're really not. It's like, I like staying home in my jammies. So some of this message is for you jammy Christians to entice you, to make your mouth water, to make you want to come back to Scripture. We're talking today about what is called in Psalm 87, the city of God. So we're going to get started in Psalm 87, and then we're going to move to another passage and throw in some New Testament passages as we go. But here we go with Psalm 87. I'm returning to those opening verses, but I'll make some comments as we go. Psalm 87. On the holy mount, that's Mount Zion, that's a small mountain, it's about, what is it, I wrote it down, it's about 2,474 feet above sea level, but it's higher than anything else all around. This is where Jerusalem is. It's higher than anything. So that I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I got confused because if they were south of Jerusalem, it said they went up to Jerusalem. But if they were north of Jerusalem, it said they went up to Jerusalem. East, they went up. West, they went up. Why is everybody going up? And it's because they're going up in elevation. So you all said in those days, we're going up to the city. We're going up to Jerusalem. It's the holy mount. It's a holy mount. It's not like any other mountain on the earth. It's greater than Everest. It's greater than whatever the other great mountains are, K2 and others. It's the holy mount set apart as a special place for God and His people and the Old Testament temple. On the holy mount stands the city He founded the city he founded. Now, that's interesting because prior to Israel taking possession of the land and prior to Israel building their city on that mount, there had been a city there. It was a pagan city. It was an unbelieving city. It was an idolatrous city. So there had been a city there, but then God came in and his people took over the city and he built the city. It's a holy mount and there stands and still stands a city that he founded. And then this. Here we get a peek into the heart of God, the the loves of God. What does God love? There are many things. Here's one. The Lord loves the gates of Zion. He just loves those sacred gates to that holy mount because that's where he planted his people, and that's where he had them build a temple, and that's where they worshiped him, and that's where foreigners drew near to the true and living God. And it says, the Lord loves that place. He loves the gates of Zion. And then here's a comparison. More than all the dwelling places of Jacob. So you go to 
all the Jacobite houses, some of them were palaces, some of them were meager and poor, and everything in between. But the Lord has a love for His, His holy temple, His holy city on the mountain that contains that temple, the dwelling place of God on the earth. He loves it more than any other individual home where the people live. He loved those places, but He loves the city. He loves the gates, the very gates, more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. And then here the psalmist comes out and makes a commentary about the place. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God, Selah. Just ponder that. Just meditate on that. Just think about that. The special dwelling place of God on earth the city of God, a city on a hill, where the people of God gather for gathered corporate worship, and the Lord loves that so much. And the psalmist adds, and glorious things of you, Zion, are spoken, meaning people have gone up for worship maybe, and then they go back home, and on the way home, on the way home, they're saying, wasn't that awesome? Wasn't that awesome when the high priest led us in prayer? Wasn't that awesome when the Scriptures were read? Wasn't that awesome when we all lifted our voices and sang the praises of God together, and they're remembering maybe on the way home, and they're saying glorious things of what it was like to go up to the city of God and to worship with God's people. And by the way, let me just help you peek ahead. We're going to look in the book of Hebrews soon and see that all of this is true, in a greater way is true, of the corporate gatherings of the new covenant people of God in the church of Jesus Christ. So, there are these glorious things. And then it goes on, verse 4. Verse 4. I think there's a verse 4. There's a verse 4 in my Bible. There it is. Thank you. And it's hard to know if this is the psalmist speaking of his experience, or if this is a, a cut to God, and this is God speaking. Hard to know. I read a ton of commentaries to try and figure this verse out this week, and everybody says something different, so what that said to me is nobody really knows, right? So I'm free to go with, with, with either one that I like, whatever one I like. But if this is God speaking, he says, among those down there in Zion, among those who know me, or if this is the psalmist speaking, same thing, he's saying, among those who come up to worship on the holy mountain, among those who know me, the psalmist, I'm going to mention there's people from all nations who are showing up to worship the living God. There's Rahab. Rahab stands for, where did Rahab come from? What city was Rahab in? What country was Rahab from? She was in Egypt where the children of Israel had been in bondage, and she helped them get free and go to the promised land. So there are, there are Egyptian people worshiping here in the temple. And there are people from ancient Babylon who had been enemies of the children of God. And behold, Philistia. Who do you remember? Who was that great big guy from Philistia? What was his name? Goliath had been, they were, they were a warring people against Israel, against the people of God. And Tyre, that had been like the New York City of their day, the center of wealth and commerce and just unbelievable, luxurious possessions by people. And then Cush, a lesser-known place, hard to identify exactly which place that is. 
But among those who know me, either God says, or among those who know me, maybe the psalmist says, from going up to worship, there are people from every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue, and God has gathered them there for worship. And then either God says, or the psalmist says, but somebody says of people who are there, here's what people who were there say. These are some of the glorious things they say maybe on the way home. They say, this one was born there. Yeah, to be born there is just crazy. It's like, where were you born? I was born in Gettysburg. Not bad. Everybody's heard of Gettysburg. Not bad. Debbie was born in Newport News, a little less known maybe. Our oldest son was born in Washington, D.C. Not bad. Our next son was born in Denver, Mile High City. Not bad. Our next son was born in Baltimore. Not bad. Our next son was born in Riverside, California. Not bad. Shall I go on to our grandchildren? I can't. But some people, like our one son was born in Washington, D.C., capital of the United States of America, uh, not bad. And so the psalmist is saying, or maybe God is saying, that one was born here. Such a great place, and how blessed they are. They were born in this place. Next verse, verse 5. And of Zion, so there were people from other lands, and now we're going to come to this land, to Zion, to the holy place. And of Zion it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. Imagine the great privilege being born in the city of God, that high and holy and set-apart place. For the most high will establish her. One more verse out of Psalm 87. I'm sorry, it's two more verses together, six and seven. And the Lord records as he registers the people, this one was born there, Selah. And then singers and dancers. I would like you to see, by the way, that in Israel's worship there were singers And dancers, like Pastor Stan, who can't stand still when we're singing worship songs. There's a song and there's a dance, and it glorified God. Singers and dancers, dancers alike, they're maybe going home. They've just had a great day of worship, and they say to God, all my springs. They say to the, the holy hill, all my springs, everything that nourishes me, everything that feeds my soul, everything that satisfies my thirst in my spirit, all my springs are in you. They're in God and the place where His people gather, where His word is read, where the songs of Israel are sung where prayers are offered up, where sacrifices are made, and they say, that's life for me. All of my springs, everything satisfying my soul is found there. So this is a little bit of ancient history. This is written hundreds of years before Jesus came to the earth, suffered for his people, died for his people, rose for their justification, ascended to the right hand of God, rules and reigns. 
So what does it have to do with us? This some interesting ancient history about a mountain that had a temple and some people used to go there and have a great, great time. What does it have to do with us? Oh, a lot. I want to show you what from the New Testament. We're going now to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me give you a little bit of background from Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what was going on in Hebrews chapter 12, in the whole book of Hebrews rather. Some of the Hebrew Christians, they become followers of Jesus Christ, and they're Christians. Some of them are thinking, I'm going back. It's hard being a Christian. I'm getting persecuted being a Christian. I'm going back. I'm going back to the old covenant temple. I'm going back to Old Covenant worship. I'm going back to Old Covenant Israel. I'm going back to Old Testament sacrifices. I'm going back. And the psalmist, sorry, the book, the author of Hebrews says, I want to tell you what you're leaving if you go back. Hebrews 12, 22. He says, right before that, really, in verse 21, you have not come to Mount Sinai in coming to Christ, But here's what you have come to in coming to Jesus Christ. Here's what you have come to in coming to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have come to Mount Zion. You want to go back to Zion? No, 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 no. That's retrograde. That's going back. When you come to Jesus Christ, when you come to the church of Jesus Christ, you are coming to the new and the more spiritual and the more amazing and the more glorious and the more holy Mount Zion. You people who want to go back, you'd be leaving Mount Zion. And you who have come to Christ and you who have attached yourself to a church of Jesus Christ, you have come to the city of the living God. There are churches called Mount Zion Methodist Church. Maybe you've seen one somewhere sometime. That's a great name for a church. There are other churches called City of the Living God. I've seen churches, City of... That's a cool name. If we hadn't already just changed our name recently, maybe we could start a movement for that right now. Let's call this place City of the Living God. That's what he's saying, the church of Jesus Christ. The new covenant church is the new Mount Zion and is the city of the living God, and get this, and is the heavenly Jerusalem. So as amazing as it was going up to the earthly Jerusalem, all those glorious things that were spoken of it, it's even more amazing going to worship with God's people in a new covenant church. This is the heavenly Jerusalem where there are innumerable angels in festal gatherings. We can't see them because they're invisible, but there must be angels. At least sometimes, I know there's a lot of churches. I don't know how many angels there are to go around. At least sometimes, maybe they show up at Cornerstone. Maybe there are always a lot of angels here. Peter tells us about redemption, and angels long to look into these things. 
Look at how those new covenant believers are gathering and worshiping their God. Listen to them sing the holy songs, the songs of Zion. This is what you've come to. You want to leave that? You want to leave innumerable angels and festal gatherings? You want to leave a heavenly Jerusalem? You want to leave the city of God? You want to leave Mount Zion? That's what you'd be leaving. And the flip side of that is, if you're not leaving, the flip side is that's, that's what you're in. That's where you are. You think glorious things were spoken of old covenant Zion. Man, what about new covenant Zion? Let's go to verse 23. There's more. And you have also come, understood, to the assembly of the firstborn. Now, the firstborn is the Lord Jesus. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn of the Father, prototokos, eternally generated. There never was a time when he was not firstborn. He has always been generated by the Father. He has always existed. He is God the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And this is the church of the firstborn. That'd be a great name for a church. There's so many good names for a church. We could have called ourselves the church of the firstborn. We'd sound like a cult but it's a really great biblical name. We are the church. Who are you? We are the assembly, the gathering of the firstborn, the Lord Jesus, and we are enrolled. Our names are in God's book. We are enrolled in heaven. Wow, what a gathering. Wow, what a place. Wow, what a people. And you've not only come to the assembly of the firstborn, but you've also come to God. To God. You say, well, I can come to God anywhere. I worship God in the mountains. I worship God at the beach. Who doesn't worship God at the beach? I worship God when I uh, go down to Kentucky, whatever it is that you worship God. Yeah, you can worship God there, but you realize Jesus Christ said, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Well, I thought you're everywhere. You're omnipresent. He is, but there's a special presence of God in his gathered people in the corporate dwelling place. And just as there was on Mount Zion, there is in Mount Cornerstone. We're up on a little hill. This is the holy hill. This is Mount Cornerstone. We're on it. And we've come to God. Every week when you come here and you're driving here, well, I have to go to church today or they'll miss me and talk to me. No, I'm going to meet with God in the assembly of his people. God, who's further identified in that verse as the judge of all. And I'm coming to, who else is going to be there? The spirits of the righteous by the blood of Christ made perfect. Very imperfect right now in the way they actually live, but in their spirits, they're righteous, they're made perfect through the washing of the blood of Christ. And I'm going into the presence of God and in the assembly of those people that I may lift my heart and voice with them. And there's more, there's more. Next verse, verse 24. You better have a verse 24 for me. It's really good. It, it, it's there. Thank you. And in addition to all that, here's somewhere else you've come to in the church of Jesus Christ. You've come to Jesus who is the mediator of a new covenant. You want to leave all this and go back to the old covenant? You've got Jesus Christ very present in his church, and he's mediating a new covenant. 
And the next phrase is unfold that covenant a little bit. And to the sprinkled blood, that's the blood of Christ, that speaks a better word. And you'd expect it to say than the blood of Old Testament sacrifices. But no, he goes back farther to the second son who was killed by the first son, Cain slew Abel, to the mediator of a new covenant and to the blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What did the word, what did the blood of Abel speak? Murder, hatred, jealousy, anger, fratricide. That blood said bad things. You've come to some shed blood And it speaks better, it speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks pardon, it speaks grace, it speaks forgiveness, it speaks salvation, it speaks washing and cleansing, it speaks the righteousness of God imputed or reckoned to your account. So, everything that Amos said about the mount is here to a greater degree in the New Testament church. All you all who are sitting home being jammy Christians, pretending like you're scared of COVID, and you might really be scared of COVID. Bless you if you are. We understand. But some of you aren't really. You're just jammy Christians being lazy. I'm hoping to help you get yourself back in here. I'm hoping this will draw you in. Do you see what you're missing? Do you see what God has for you in the assemblies of His people? It's just amazing. The church of Jesus Christ, glorious things of thee are spoken. O church of Jesus Christ. Second passage, Zechariah. It's 500 B.C. Zechariah is one of those that we call the minor prophets. Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. He's one of the minor prophets with a major message. And here's a little part of his major message. Zechariah 6.12. And say to him, and the him in the context is to Joshua, who was then high priest. Say to the high priest, say to Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man whose name is the branch. Get any goosebumps when you read that? Get a little bit of a shiver when you read that? You know who that's talking about? Who's the branch? It's the Lord Jesus. He's the man. He's the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch. For he shall branch out from his place. And what will he do when he does? And he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now, was that looking forward to Solomon's temple, which was yet to be built? No, it was not looking, I'm sorry, not Solomon's, to, uh, what was the name of the temple in the New Covenant era, in the the time of Christ, to that temple. Anyway, that temple, the one that was there in the first century. Was that looking forward to that temple? Now, actually, when you get to A.D. 70, under Titus from Rome, they they sacked Jerusalem, they razed, R-A-Z-E-D, the temple, they destroyed it. It's as if said, God said, oh, I see you finally finished your temple. Guess what? I don't need it anymore. There's a new one. There's a better one that's made with living stones. There's a temple not made with hands. Your temple was just the made with hands kind. I've got a temple that replaces it that isn't made with hands, 
And the branch is the one who will come and build that temple. It's talking about the New Testament temple. What is Jesus Christ doing right now? There are two things. Well, there's more than two. I'm sorry. There's two things I want to point to. One is he's preparing a place for you if you're in Christ. Man, he's been preparing that place for 2,000 years. What a place that must be. But there's another thing he's doing. He's building. He is building a temple. Fast forward to Matthew 6, 18. Well, we have it up here. And here's a New Testament passage that explains what Zechariah just said. I, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Take heart in that, by the way. No matter what's going on on planet Earth, take heart. Jesus says, they're not going to beat down my church. They're not going to bring an end to my church. Gates of hell won't stop the gates of Zion. But it's Jesus who is the branch who will build the temple. Go back to Zechariah 6, verse 13, the next verse, and it clarifies, it is he who shall build the temple of the Lord and shall bear royal honor, king of kings, and shall sit and rule on his throne. Where is Jesus right now? Seated at the right hand of the majesty on high with all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, given unto him exactly what Zechariah says the Lord Jesus Christ is doing now. So Zechariah says he's going to come and he's going to build a temple and he's going to rule. And the next verse, Zechariah 6, 15. This is amazing. Sorry, I skipped verse 14, but that's okay. This is verse 15. And those who are far off, Rahab, Babylon, Cush, and those who are far off shall come and help to build the temple of the Lord. Why do you go to church? Because I get to help build the temple of the Lord. Don't just go to church to receive to drink it all in, to grade it on a scale of one to ten. Well, today the band was an eight, today Steve was a six, and so it was an okay day. No, no, you come to serve, you come to give. You've got spiritual gifts that the Spirit of God has given you for service in building up the body of Christ, and you go to church to help build the temple of the Lord. And it's incredible. Who does it? Those who are far off. This was unthinkable to the Jewish people. This was unimaginable to the Israelites. Those goyim, those Gentiles, those dogs, they can't have a hand in building the temple. Oh, they will help build the new covenant temple. Because it will be all kinds of people from all kinds of places, all building together. What are you bunch of Gentiles? You all bunch of Gentiles. What are you all doing here in the new covenant church of Jesus? We're helping him build his church. We're helping him build a glorious Zion, a heavenly Jerusalem, more amazing than the former one. What are you doing working downstairs in kids' ministry? I see Brittany's up here today. She said, I'm out of there. I got my staff there working. I'm going to sit with my man today. 
What are you doing running kids' ministry? I'm helping build the church. What are you doing working in the nursery? I'm helping build the church. What are you doing being in the worship team? I'm helping build the church. You know, they have to be here Wednesday night for hours. Then they have to be here Sunday morning at 8.30. And then they have to lead you through all that. When they go home, they're like, what are you doing all that for? I'm helping build the new covenant temple, the Mount Zion, the city of God, the church of the firstborn, the church of Jesus Christ. What are you doing serving in connections? You have to be here like 20 minutes early, and you have to stay after and meet people. What are you doing that for? I'm helping build the church of Jesus Christ. So, this is some of the big view of what church is for. This is some of the, the big view of what it's all about. No, no details, no specifics, like church is supposed to do this, what you're supposed to do in church. We're supposed to sing, pray, read the word, preach the word, baptize, have communion. No specifics. This has been like the, the big view. What is this all about? Why are we doing this? What's going on? Because this is the house that Jesus Christ is building. And we get to be laborers with him in it. Now, you're going to like this next heading. Next slide, please. I want to give you two squeeze-in passages. Do you like that? You're supposed to like that. I'm squeezing these two in. These are squeeze-in passages that give us some further insight about the church it's glory. Glorious things are spoken of it. Here's the first one, Ephesians 5, 25, you see it. Christ loved. Remember the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Here we come to the New Testament, and Christ loved what? The house where you live? Your street address? No, he loves that. But Jesus Christ loved the church. Now, I am well aware of the fact, and some of you have been thinking about the fact, and some of you are disturbed that I have not clarified that I know about the fact, that I haven't made recognition for the fact that there is the church, and there are churches. So here Jesus says, here, here Paul says, Christ loved the church. There's one of them. There's only one church. And all believers in all places and all times are part of that one church. Theologians call it the universal church. Or another name for it, if you don't get this confused with a denomination on the planet, it's small c. It is the church Catholic, meaning all the people of God are part of this church. So there's one church, and everything we're seeing in Scripture today is talking about that one church. Well, then, Pastor Steve, how come you're applying it to an individual local church like ours? Because we also see churches. It says, and Paul was unknown to the churches of Galatia. So there's one church, but there are many churches. How do we put that together? The one church is comprised of the many churches. So what is said about, what is said to be true about the church is going to be true in each one of the churches. And what is true in the churches is true of the church. So when it says Christ loved the church, 
That includes this church, this little part of the universal body of Christ. Christ loves Cornerstone Church, and he gave himself up for her. Now I'm going to talk to you jammy Christians, looking straight at the camera. These people aren't jammy Christians, at least not today. Maybe next week some of them will stay home. Well, it's COVID. They won't notice I stayed home. I'm talking to you jammy Christians now. You say, I, I just want to be like Christ. I want to be like my Savior. I want to be like Christ. Well, there are a lot of things that means. Here's one of them. It means you love what he loves. What does he love? There's a lot of answers to that. Here's one of them. He loves his church. When you lo- want to be like Christ, you want to love what he loves. So you love his church. Some of you are not believers and you're wondering, if I become a believer, will I have to do that church thing? Like on Sundays? It's not so much will I have to, it's you'll get to. You'll be like, oh boy, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord. You'd be so thankful to assemble in the church of the firstborn. Christ loved the church, and you'll want to be like him. And Christ, loving the church, gave himself for her. And some of you are going to think this is a little too strong, but I don't. And when you want to be like Christ, you want to give yourself for his church. And you start wanting to serve and invest your energy and your money and your time and your talents and everything. It's the church of Jesus. I'll help build that. I'll give my time. I'll give my talents. I'll give my interest. I'll give my heart to that. You want to be like Christ Jesus? Then love his bride. Love his church. Love her and give yourself for her. And we'll point at you and say, hmm, this one was born there. How blessed they are. Here's another squeeze in verse, Ephesians 3. To him, in the context that is the Father, be glory, now notice, where? In the church. Now, I know Psalm 19 just as well as you know Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day under day utter speech, and night under night shows forth knowledge. I know the psalm. So God is glorified in creation, and God is glorified in a whole lot of things. But here's one of those things we are told, to him, Paul's offering a prayer, to him, to the Father, be glory. Where, Paul? In the church. There's a special presence of Jesus Christ in the church. There's a special mission God gives his church. There's a special deposit he puts in his church. The Spirit of God and the Word of God, he deposits them to the church. There are gifts he gives to the church for service in the world and the body of Christ. And so there's a special glory in and about the church of Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. Pastor Steve, why are you preaching this sermon? Because it'll help some of you who are thinking, hmm, do I really want to become a Christian? Because then there's that church thing. Yeah, it's a glorious thing. And to help those of you who are saying, I'm a Christian and I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm still home in my jammies. I'm not really scared of COVID. I'm just being lazy. This bud, this sermon is for you. 
So here are five things I want to give you by way of closing. Five things. Five things. First thing I want to say to you is value. Value your church. Is that a fair response to the passages we've looked at? If if church is all of that, shouldn't I value it? Shouldn't I hold it in very high esteem? Shouldn't it really mean a lot to me? Shouldn't it really matter to me? I value the church of Jesus Christ more than I value a lot of other things. We value photographs. Debbie's been going through a ton of family photographs and organizing them into, uh, what do you call the books you put photos in? Those things, whatever they are. I heard different words. They all went together, mush. But she's been doing that. She's been organizing our photos and her mother's photos and her people's photos. We have boxes of them, and she's been figuring them out, putting them together. And the cool thing about photography is you get to relive their presence. You get to relive that moment. You get to relive that place. Every time she finishes an album, I say, let me see. And I go through it. Oh, I remember that. That was in the Rockies. Yeah, that was, that was Heart Lake. That was Lake Isabel. We were up there with our babies and the marmots. And you relive those memories by photos. And we treasure and we value those things. And then there's the church of Jesus Christ. A pastor from the 1700s, an old believer, wrote for us in a hymn. I'm going to give you more of that hymn in a minute. How he loved the church. Here's what he wrote. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. Really? Beyond your highest joy? Oh, yes, he says. I value the church of Jesus Christ. Here's a second point in closing. I have five. This is number two. Second point. Love your church. Don't just value it like it's some commodity. Well, I have a nice car, a nice truck. I value it. I have a house. I value it. No, more than value it, love it. God loves the gates of Zion more than all your houses, the dwelling place of Israel. And, and the Lord Jesus loved the church in particular and gave himself for her. Don't just value it. Love it. Now, I'm going to read you more from that hymn, but let me identify the writer. His name is Timothy Dwight. He died in 1817. He was a grandson of the great... Jonathan Edwards, a great Christian theologian and pastor. Timothy Dwight was a Congregationalist pastor. He was a Revolutionary War Army chaplain. He became a professor at Yale College and later became president of Yale College from 1795 to 1817. Oh, that presidents in places like Yale College in our day would write words like these. Here's what He wrote, Timothy Dwight, in that hymn that I just read you a little piece of. Here's more of it. Are you ready? He wrote, I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church of our blessed Redeemer saved with his own precious blood. Go on. I love thy church, O God. Her walls before thee stand, dear as the apple of thine eye and graven on thy hand. Value the church. Love the church. Here's a third point in closing. Return to church. 
oh, jammy Christians. I want an audible response from y'all. Is there any room left in this building today? Yeah, yeah you hear, all hear that? They're talking to you. I know about COVID. I know about human nature. I know some of you have genuine, genuine, real concerns. Bless you. We love you. We'll see you when you get here. And I also know the human mind is at its best when making up excuses. Some of you are genuinely concerned. Some of you are, you are getting lazy. Some of you have fallen into the thing forbidden to the Hebrews who are thinking of going back and we're leaving church. And the scripture says, Hebrews, I didn't write down that verse. Hebrews. It says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some. Don't stop going to church. Don't stop gathering. Now, this is awful because of COVID. Some of you haven't been here for how long has it been? It's been six months. Some of you with genuine concerns, let's give it the best case. You have genuine concerns. Bless you. We love you. You get to decide. We'll bless you. But you have genuine concerns, so you've stayed home. I hope you understand what you have missed. And watching the video is not the same. I hope you understand. I have just missed six months of that of this glorious, amazing, incredible place where God's people gather to build one another up and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ and to proclaim his name and sing his songs and lift up prayers together. Oh, jammy Christians, please return to church. Next closing point. And when you come, don't come back alone. Invite somebody. We're here to bring in we're here to build up. I read, somebody tweeted yesterday, and I read it. It said, Pastor, if your people aren't inviting friends, then you're not reaching anybody. Hmm. That's probably just about true. What is our evangelistic methodology? You. Inviting friends who can come participate in the life of the body of Christ. So don't just come back alone. Invite. One final point as Amy begins to play for us. Thank you. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. I was told that they don't want to be recognized and noticed. We just noticed you, Amy. Finally, labor for. Don't just show up, sit and soak and sour. Don't just gather as, I borrowed this phrase from somebody else, piles of placated, placid pewsters. No, show up like Paul to the Philippians. I will gladly spend and be spent on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I'll gladly spend myself to serve you. So this sermon is for some of you who are not yet believers. Yeah, you'll, you'll get into the church thing. You'll love God's church. It won't be I have to. It's be, it'll be I can't believe I get to. And some of this message is for some of you who need to get back to church. Come, we got space. What's that, what's that chain of motels that says, we'll leave a light on for you? Hotel Six. Yeah, we'll leave a light on for you. We'll keep a seat open for you, all right? 
So come on in. Would you bow with me and pray, please? Father, we pray that you will bring in, that you will bring in those who need to know the Lord Jesus. We